God is good, church. He's, he's on the move. Amen. He's on the move. And, and as we pray and as we seek him, he's continuing to move. And um, that time that we had during worship of prayer, that was significant. Because what I want to tell you is that any time we see that people gather together in prayer and they begin to wait on God, they see God's power unfold in their lives. And for you, you may have felt, that felt insignificant. I just walked forward, I just prayed a prayer, and you might be wondering, what was that all about? It was a moment of you waiting on God, just, just standing in his presence, just waiting upon him. And I want you to know, if you keep doing that over and over again, I promise you, you will see the faithfulness of God unfolding in your life. I promise you. Uh, that's something that's deep, deep, deep in my heart. And that's the shift that we're making as a church church, we are, we are going to build prayer into the foundation of who we are as a church and who we are as individuals. And, um, and that's just going to continue to shape us as we move forward. You know why? Because prayer continues to show and reflect dependency. Our dependency isn't on ourselves. Our dependency is on God. Today, if God doesn't show up, I can get up. I could give you a message. You might clap. You might get excited. But man, if God doesn't show up right now, I'm, I'm done. I, it doesn't matter. Uh, I can entertain you, but God can transform you. And that's what I want. I want it to move and to touch you. And so, prayer is us tapping into that. It's us just tapping into God's heart and just touching heaven. And I'm excited that we're doing that more and more and that uh, we're beginning to build a, a time in the week that we're going to do that. And starting this month, uh, I announced last uh, last week in our sermon that we're going to be beginning a weekly prayer meeting as a church where we're going to gather together. It's going to be on Wednesday nights and we're going to touch heaven together. We're just going to seek the Lord and we're going to press in. And I know that I know the Lord's going to meet us in that place because every time we gather together in his name and we seek him and we wait on him, he's going to renew our strength and, and we're going to see him on the move. So mark your calendars for the 23rd of uh, May. That's when we're beginning. And then mark your calendars for every Wednesday night after that, moving forward, that we'll just meet with the Lord and wait on him in prayer, and uh, God has some special things in store for us. Amen? All right, let's jump into the word today. You've been patient enough. Da -da -ding. I don't have the drummer. All right, uh, that's, I only got a couple of those for you, but we're preaching about patience, and to be, can I be honest with you, I kind of wish that I wasn't preaching about patience today, because I know uh, the Lord has a way of bringing, you, bringing the message into you and through you uh, while he's preparing me. So I'd studied the, the, the text, and I'd been working on it, um, and in the word, but God allows things in your life as well to teach you. And I wish I could just read it all in a book, but I had to experience a lot of it. So I am rich with illustrations that I can't give you this week of patience, patience, patience. I had to actually, it got so bad a couple times during the week that I was sitting with someone that they just couldn't get something right for me that I needed. And I was sitting down and making a purchase and they were apologizing. I said, I'm a, I'm a pastor and I'm growing in patience right now. And they said, don't grow in patience, please. No, I said, no, I'm growing in patience. I said, I'm preaching on patience, and now you're giving me the opportunity to grow in it because it's happening right now in front of you. You're being used to a plan. The plan is bigger than you know. God is using you. Um, but, uh, but I was able to laugh about it. Can I give you one example? I didn't want to give you many stories because I don't have much time. But... Um, <laughs> I found a place that you all need to know about. Many of you have gyms that you go to and you have places that you work out and you, you train. And we're working on the fruit of the spirit right now. We want to see that grow in our lives. We want to see it tested and, and trained and in check. Um, I found a place that if you want to go, you can work out all the fruit of the spirit and see where you are in them. You can do it all in one place. You ready? The Department of Motor Vehicles. Uh, <laughs> 
on, on the last day of the month. Not any day. Like, I think it's actually good on most days. If you work there, I'm not trying to be offensive to you. They were great. But on the last day of the month, it was Monday, and your pastor was there on Monday. And I was not there for a vehicle registration. I was there for something else, and I was, I was there. And it was... It was, I was like, wow, Lord, this is your training course. This is the triathlon of, of, of the fruit of the Spirit. I waited for about 15 minutes just to find a parking spot. And I finally pull up to one. I didn't tell it this clearly in first service. But let's say this is the car. And I'm just waiting. And I'm like, where is this going to be? And then right there, the reverse lights go on right next to me. I'm like, Lord, you're so good. It's right, there it is. But my, the nose of my car, the bumper was just a little too close. So I had to back up. So I tried to back up some. And the guy, it's just me and one other person. I'm trying to back up. He's honking at me. He's like, nope, you're going forward. I'm like, no, just back up. Nope, you're going forward. So I go up. I turn around, and I come back thinking, okay, well, he can't reverse for some reason. And he literally said, no. And he pulled into the spot in front of me. So I said, oh, what am I going to do about this? I got very upset. And I thought, I'm preaching on patience today, on, on Monday, on Sunday. So I waved to him. I was like, hi. And then I, I stood. I waited another 20 minutes. Got, got there, and then got in, and I ended up being right in line behind him. So uh, we became friends, so it was all good. I felt like the Lord, he's like, I know you waited, but I'm going to put you right there, right next to him. So I think he felt guilty. I felt great. Um, I was good. I, I, I released him. I was good. I forgave him. It was no issue. I was really good. I, cause you know what? Because I knew the Lord was working, right? And even if he wasn't, I knew that he, he could use that as a way to grow me. And um, what would happen in our lives, right, if we would just take more things that happen like that, and we could just say, God, um, Help me. <laughs> like, help. I know you can work in the midst of this. I know you could use this. The Lord was using it in my own life. Um, God's patience is one of his most beautiful attributes. You know, in, in one of the earliest moments in the Bible when God is describing himself, one of the very first attributes that he uses to describe himself is patience. Did you know that? If you look in um, Exodus chapter 34, Verse 6, it says, the Lord passed by in front of Moses and he proclaimed, this is the Lord proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness in truth. So the Lord declares this about himself and bound up in that phrase is the word that we come to know as patience. In the Bible, this idea of defining patience is this word, um, long-suffering. Have you ever heard that word before? It's not a word we use very often in, in, in our own um, language. Now that you've picked it up, you're going to be at home and you're going to deal with your little ones and you're going to be like, oh, I'm long-suffering. That's patient. You know, I'm just, you know, bearing with something for a while. Uh, the definition we'd see that the world would kind of give you and you could find in other books as you pick them up is a great definition if you pick up a dictionary is a patience is the capacity to accept or tolerate delay, trouble, or suffering without getting angry or upset. And, um, and so that's kind of the world's definition. I told you that you can find patience in this world, and you can even be a patient person. But when we're talking about this Rooted series, we're talking about the fruit of the Spirit. One of the fruit of the Spirit is patience. So this isn't the patience you could find in this world. This isn't patience you just see and that maybe you even have or don't have. This is a patience that comes from, patience that comes from the heart of God. And I always, we always have to understand the distinction here because if we take this and we just say, well, the importance of today's message is I'm just going to become a more patient person. So, Pastor, give me some tips on how to just be more patient. Um, I could give you some tips. I could give you strategies to bite your tongue and to do this and do that and like kind of not speak when you, when you should and just kind of do that. But 
what that would end up being is an act of your own will and strength to try to make yourself a more patient person. The fruit of the Spirit isn't about that. The fruit of the Spirit is about God doing such a powerful work by his Holy Spirit inside of you that what grows out of your life is a patience that you could never have on your own. You could never produce. You could just not have. So I want to just speak clearly to your heart today because as you're hearing this series and you're seeing these attributes, that one of the things we will do is we will excuse ourselves from not having to have one of these things flourishing in our lives. And patience could easily be, well, you know me, I'm just not a patient person. I know, I'm not talking about that, but God is in you now, and Christ is your Lord and Savior, and greater is he that is in you, and he is patient, so you better start growing in patience. Not that you can do it in your own strength. He can do it through you. Sorry, I got a little frustrated. I'm not talking to anyone in general here. Um, but we, it frustrates me because I think so often as believers, we give excuses for why we're not growing in the areas God wants us to grow. And I don't have to look any further than the mirror to see that, right? Lord, we know who we are. We know where we fall short. But the Lord is perfect in all these areas. And I want you to know today that if you're someone that, that struggles in the area of patience, by the power of the Holy Spirit, he could do a work in your heart and life and he could set you free from that. And he can develop a patience that flows out of your life that the people around you will wonder, what has happened to this person? And you just say, God has happened to me. I'm just surrendering my life to the Lord, and this is how he's growing in and through me. Let's take that journey, okay? Would you open your Bibles with me to Colossians chapter 3? I'm going to pray as you're opening there. Lord Jesus, Lord, I need you to speak this living word through the power of your Holy Spirit and touch every heart in life. Lord, you know where every single one of your people are today. And Lord, you are so patient with us. Lord, your, your loving kindness and your patience, Lord, are these beautiful attributes of who you are. And as we move forward, we're going to learn more and more about your character, Lord. But what I love is that you promise that these things can abound in us. These things can grow in us. And Lord, for some today, we don't even know how that's possible because we've been walking with you for a long time, and yet maybe this area of patience hasn't changed much for us. Maybe we find that the fuse we have right now is so short, and we find all these things, Lord. I pray by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would deliver this word into every heart and every life, and that, Lord, we would just leave here changed, marked, different, not because just of what we've heard, but because your presence has touched us in a special way. And so that's what we invite you to do. Come and have your way in Jesus' name. Amen. Man, I'm going to read this passage of Scripture to you. It's 17 verses. Maybe the longest passage of Scripture I've ever read in one, in one um, moment in all my time pastoring with you. But I want to read this to you, and I'm going to ask you as I'm reading to be praying and asking the Holy Spirit to speak to you and to put his finger on different parts of your life where he wants to, to challenge us. And after I read it, it's a lot to read, um, but after I read it... Um, we will then just kind of touch on a few areas of it that I want to just help tie it all together. Um, and if you feel like this is a long, a long passage, I want you to know most of the New Testament books that we have, those were letters and those were all read, the whole thing. So uh, if you feel like this is a little long, just say, well, thank, thankfully I wasn't a part of the New Testament church because we would be reading the whole book of Colossians this morning and then I'd be talking about it. So, uh, so we're in Colossians 3, verses 1 through 17. Um, Lord, speak to us right now, we pray by your word. Here's what it says. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly, earthly things. 
For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. What is that? Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. But now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices, and you've put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge, in the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile nor Greek uncircumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, uh, slave-free, but all, all is Christ, and Christ is all and in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Now let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish each other with wisdom, through prayers, um, through psalms, hymns, and songs in the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Amen. I don't, I, I could just keep, let's just keep reading that. I, 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 there's so much instruction that Paul's giving to, to the church in, Cor, uh, in Colossae. And that instruction comes to us today because it's the living word of God. It's relevant today, as relevant as, as it has ever been. Um, but I want to start with something that is going to help us understand um, what we see at the end. Because I don't know if you noticed it, but at the end there, if you have your Bible in front of you, and you get from verses 15 to 17, you know, Paul repeats something. He tags it on again and again and again. Do all this and be thankful. Do all this and have a heart filled with gratitude. In everything you do, word or deed, in everything, do it unto God, but giving thanks to God. Do you know that you are meant to live your life in continual thanksgiving to God? And say, I, okay, I, I think I'm supposed to be thankful. Um, I thank the Lord for my food. No, it's meant to be a disposition of the way that we live. I think I shared last week that for the Apostle Paul, and you study all of his writings, one New Testament scholar, I think it was Gordon Fee, said that for Paul, for a Christian to not be thankful continuously, and there just be this, this gratitude flowing out of his heart, that was incompatible for him. Because the early church was marked by believers that when Christ has done that work in you, there's reason to always be giving thanks, to always be praising him, to be in this place where, man, we're just like, in the midst of everything, we have joy and thanksgiving. We're just able to praise him. So that's different than joy. The joy is that deep strength within us, but thanksgiving is our response. One of the things that I, I thought was interesting is that thankfulness is not one of the fruit of the Spirit. We get through the whole list, and it's not one of them. And I said, why is that the case? Do you know why? 
Because the fruit of the Spirit is something that the, the Spirit of God has to produce in us and grow through us. Thankfulness is our response to what God has done in us. Thankfulness is within our own strength. It's within our own power to be thankful to God. Because God will do his work, but we have to now choose how we respond to what he's done. Will you be thankful today? And you look to him, you know that he has given us reason to be thankful for everything. And, um, and so what I want to encourage you with is, when we think of the fruit of the Spirit, I've talked to you about fruit, but I want you to think about grass now. Um, because I have a patch of, of land on my property, which is not producing any grass. And it is in danger of being thrown into the fire because I'm very upset with it. Um, it's not producing. And I've tried everything. And I was talking to someone that's in landscaping. And I said, you got to come over. you got to look at this. you got to help me because this is a, another year where I feel like this area is not producing any grass. And I've tried different things. And they gave me some examples of things i got to do that I didn't think to do before. And so I, I took down the list. And on the list, one of the things they wrote there was, and you got to put fertilizer down. And I saw them, and I talked to them, and they said, you know, hey, yeah, make sure you do all these things. And I was like, I'm going to get that thing. And I, and I named the list, but I didn't mention the fertilizer. And he, no, stop. you got to put that fertilizer down. you got to do it. you got to. And I said, okay, okay. So as I'm, I'm asking, you know, this question of myself, as I'm studying the text, what is thankfulness? And I felt like the Lord said, it's the fertilizer for the fruit of the Spirit. It's the fertilizer that's going to help you grow in every single area of your life. I was talking to uh, one of our pastors, one of our other leaders, like, it's the fertilizer. This is exactly what it is. And, I th and I, so I went and got you some miracle Grow, Right? And let's see if it's open. Oh, I don't want to dump this everywhere. So we're going to leave this shut because um, it'll get all over the platform. We don't want grass growing here. Uh-oh. But what happens, it's, it's locked. It's okay. Um, but what happens is when we're thankful... It's like putting fertilizer down on our heart. I'm telling you, it, it does something inside of you that you can't even imagine. And what I believe it does, because in, in many of the fruit of the Spirit that we talk about, it says, and be thankful. Like, do, and be thankful. And I think when there's an atmosphere of thanksgiving and praise, it's like what, what that is to our heart is fertilizer to this grass. When it happens, the fruit that God's going to bring out of your life is going to come quicker. It's going to grow greater. It's going to be more beautiful because you're doing it all in a spirit of thanksgiving unto him. And I think when we do that, it does something in us that we can't even imagine. So I want to challenge you in everything. Have a disposition of gratitude for everything God has done for you. Be continually praising him, continually thanking him for what he's done because it's something that God wants. And, it, and, and here's, here's what I want you to know. It's, God's, it's something God wants for you. What do you mean by that, Pastor? Thankfulness is something God wants for you. And I think we can think God is just, you know, is he, does he really just need all this praise? Is he like that kind of person that would just, I got to always be praised by people? No, God needs it for you, not for himself. God knows who he is. The, the, the heavens declare the glory of God, but something happens in the heart of his believers when they begin to declare the glory of God, the promise of God, the thanksgiving. When they're doing it, it's changing us. And God is pleased with that. Yes, it pleases him, but God is desiring to see you perfected in his image. And I want you to know, when you're giving thanks to him, when you're continually praising him, it does something to help us grow. So, so know that. Let's get into, these, into this passage now. I'm going to give you three things that I want you to look at as we look here. What will help determine patience in you and help produce patience in your life? And ultimately, how are we going to see it worked out? The first thing that we're going to see here is, it's in the first few verses, if you'll, if you'll look there with me. The first point is that your perspective will determine your patience. Your perspective will determine your patience. 
I want you to know that. If you're looking to this world to try to find patience somewhere, that perspective, you can go find some form of patience. But if you will do what the word of God calls you to do, you're going to begin to develop and grow in the patience that God has for you. Ultimately, your focus in this life is going to produce your fruitfulness in this life. What you're focused on is going to bear fruit in your life. So if you're focused on the right things, then the right things will come out of your life. If you're focused on the wrong things, the wrong things will come out of your life. So this is what Paul says. Since you've been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where he's seated, at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Because you've already died to your old self and you're now buried with Christ. Your life is hidden with Christ. So here's what he says. He says, your perspective is really, really important. You got to stop dwelling on the earthly things around you and you must dwell on. You must set your hearts and your minds on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand. You know what it means to be seated at the right hand? It means he is seated in the place of victory. He is seated in a place where the work has been finished, where Jesus is victorious. And I want you to know why it's so important. Because when we prayed at this altar a few moments ago, some of us were standing and we're waiting for something and for God to move. And it's looking bad. It's looking like that we're defeated. It looks like nothing's happening. And if you keep dwelling on just those things and you never set your heart and your mind on God to get his perspective, you will wallow in that place. But I want you to know, whatever it is that you're walking through, when you can fix your eyes on him and see that he is victorious and he declares that we're more than conquerors, you can find hope in the midst of every struggle that you walk through. So what we dwell on is really important. It says, set your mind and your thoughts and your eyes on things above, where he is seated, where he is victorious. When you do that, when you have the right perspective, the right things will begin to grow in your life. Your focus, what you're focused on, ultimately determines your fruitfulness. And I want to go back to last week's message where we talked about what we dwell on eventually dwells in us. What you dwell on, if you're dwelling on the wrong things, if you're entertaining the wrong things in your life, if you're even entertaining the wrong kinds of people around you, that ends up affecting you in deep, deep ways. What you dwell on eventually dwells in you. What you entertain, you've invi you're inviting into your life. And before long, it starts to grow in you, and it'll grow out of you. Before long, what's in you will be seen on the outside. So I want you to know, when, when Paul's talking about this list of things that must be put to death, immorality, all the, all impurity, lust, all, you know where that all begins? It begins somewhere in the inside. It's something that's on the inside that eventually has a manifestation on the outside. Fits of anger, all these things, there are roots of all of what's really causing that in us. What you dwell on dwells in you. And then what you dwells in you eventually dwells on you. So if you are entertaining the wrong things, and then you begin to internalize that, now you're beginning to actually participate, sin, do things that you know don't honor God, before long, that grows out of your life. It leaks out of your life. And before long, others can see it. They can recognize it. And then the problem is when they recognize it, others begin to dwell on it. And other people start to entertain it. And what, dwells, what they dwell on dwells in them. And then it grows out of their life. There's a cycle. Do you understand the cycle, church? I'm talking about here. What you dwell on ends up dwelling inside of you. I want to kind of show you this. I'm going to invite Pastor Paul up. Let's give it for, uh, up for Pastor Paul. I appreciate him. Just stand right here, Pastor Paul. So what, what we dwell on, and Paul says you got to put to death the old life. 
This is representative of the old life. All these things, lust, immorality, all, all this kind of, this is a part of who you were, not who you are in Christ. But I want to tell you, it's easy to see that or to be caught up in any of that that he's talking about here. Anything when you look at the works of the flesh and says, don't dwell on that. But if you start to dwell on it, you're dwelling on it for any period of time. I said, what you dwell on will begin to dwell in you. And what's dwelling inside of you will eventually dwell on you. And so as you entertain that long enough, I want you to know you begin to wear it. You begin to actually, it becomes a part of you. And so Paul says, if you're wearing that, and go ahead and just put that on, Pastor Paul. As, as you're wearing that, this is what you're kind of clothed with in that point. He's saying, you know, you got to put this stuff to death, but this is, what's, this is your old self. This is who you were. This is sin. This is brokenness. This is where God rescued you from. So he said, don't have this. Don't wear this. Put it to death because that's your old life. That's not who you are now. And so whenever we walk around and we're carrying that still, it's like Jesus has done the work to rescue us, and yet we're still dwelling on and entertaining the wrong things. So Paul says we have to put that to death. Whatever belongs to your earthly nature, this is your earthly nature. He says all these things, all this kind of stuff, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, which is idolatry. He said also you must go even further to put off these other things, um, slander, rage, anger, malice, filthy language. You know, it matters how we speak. Those things matter. He says, put that all off. He said, because this is a part of who you were. It's because you've taken off the old self. So that's what he says in verse 9. So go and take it off, Pastor Paul. Since you have taken off the old self and its practices. So what it means is you've taken off. You're not defined by this anymore. You've taken it off. You've casted it aside. It says you've taken off the old self. And what have you done? You've put on the new self. Which is being renewed in the image of its creator. It says you're being renewed every single day. So what happens when you came to Jesus, you took off the old self and its practices, and you've clothed yourself with the new self, it says, which reflects the image of its creator. Now go to Galatians chapter 3. Take a look. I have it here on the screen. Look what it says that happens when you become a follower of Jesus. It says, in Christ you are all the children of God through faith. For all of you were baptized into Christ. If you, were, if you became a follower of Jesus, you have clothed yourself with Christ. And he said, now there is no longer any Jew, nor Gentile, nor slave, nor free, nor male, nor female. But we were all one in Christ Jesus. So no longer are we defined by the externals. No longer are we defined by that. No longer are we even defined by who we think we are. We're defined by Jesus. Amen? This is what defines our life now. So he says, put off the old and make sure you put on the new. And when you do that, you're putting on the right things. He says, now, clothe yourself. Clothe yourself. This is what he, he literally goes on to say. You must clothe yourself with all of the right things. Would you put that up there on verse 12? It says, as God's chosen people. Holy, meaning set apart and dearly loved. Clothe yourselves with compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience. You know what those are? Those are very attributes of God. They're the very attributes we read about in Psalm 145 and these other places. That's what's meant to clothe your life. And let's take it um, even further. It says, and with all of those things, you're going to even bind it with love. <laughs> and you're going to wrap love kind of around you. You don't have to wrap it around, but just hold on to it for me. I'm not going to kind of play too much more dress up with you, Pastor Paul. But... Um, <laughs> But it's going to all be bound together with love, which holds everyone together in unity. This is a picture of what our lives are meant to look like. 
But I want you to know what happens for so many of us. We profess Jesus with our lips and with our mouth, and we believe in our hearts, and yet we go back and we begin to entertain all the wrong things in our lives. And I want you to know if we're wondering where's the fruit of the Spirit coming out of our lives, if we're so focused on the deeds of the flesh, the old self, it doesn't have room to grow. He says, you won't have patience. He said, clothe yourself with all these. There's a patience that God wants to put on you that can't get to you if you're over there. Does that make sense? If we're clothed with the wrong things, we can't have that. This is his desire for you, and this is all possible through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen? Would you praise God for what he's done in us and what he's done for us, that he gives us the ability to be clothed, and when people see us, they see him. That's great, Pastor Paul. Thank you so much. You're supposed to clothe yourself with Christ, so keep wearing that for the rest of the day, okay? That's no, kidding. Um, we look at this. I want to tell you the first point being that for us, we have to have the right perspective. That'll determine our patience. The second point that I want to share with you is that patience, this kind of patience that we're talking about in the word of God, the very character of Christ, it is a result of putting on Christ every day. So you go, you, you go home and you wake up every morning and you put on something. You put on a jacket, and depending on how you go to work and what your workplace is like, you put on a certain kind of clothes or a certain kind of outfit. But I want you to know, because of whose you are, every day clothe yourself with Christ. Every day, intentionally say, Lord, I'm surrendering to the old. I'm putting to death the old. And that's all a work. Of pro that's a process that we're all going through. Amen? None of us are perfect. We're all there. At any time, we can go and want to pick this back up, and we can carry it a little bit longer, and we can let some of it kind of rest on us in some different way. But every day, deciding, what am I going to wear? I'm putting off the old, Lord. I want to be clothed with you. I want to be clothed with Christ. I want, Lord, your kindness, your humility. I want your patience, Lord, when that happens. I just want you to rest on me. That will only come when we choose every day to put on Christ. So when we do that, and as we take that stance, as we make that, that our priority, the Lord meets us, and we begin to have a, a kindness that is in our own. We begin to have a patience that is in our own. We begin to have a gentleness and a, and a compassion that is in our own. It's because it's Christ in us and through us. He's everything. I want to give you the, the third point. So if we see that this patience only comes from having the right perspective, we set our hearts and our minds on Christ, and we have made the decision every day, the daily discipline of putting on Christ and putting off the things that don't please God, the things that are a part of our old life outside of him. The third is this. They say that the proof is in the pudding, right? So where's the place that you could really see this all fleshed out? It's not just the Department of Motor Vehicles, like I told you earlier. But I believe that there's an environment where all of this is proven, and I would call it the proving grounds. I want you to know that the proving ground of patience is relationships. The proving ground of patience is relationships. What is a proving ground? A proving ground is a place where you go to test something out. You have drawn it up in theory. You have the right idea. You have actually made it. You produced it in some. You've done the hard work. But there's a place where it now needs to be fleshed out and seen, is this really working? Is this really it? And I want you to know the relationships in your life become the proving ground for this patience as it grows. That's the place where it's tested. That's the place where it's seen. That's the place where the fruit is grown. And when we think about that, it's in the midst of relationships that the enemy wants to attack. It's in the midst of relationships that the old self actually has the most destructive power. So we think about the old self and one of the ways that Paul defines this is as um, 
the deeds of the flesh. This is like who you used to be. And in Galatians, before he talks about the fruit of the spirit, he talks about the works of the flesh. He said they're evident. He says it's immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. He said, I promised you and I told you that if we continue on in this way, you don't inherit the kingdom of God. This isn't the life that Christ has purchased for us. Now, here's what struck me. Paul listed 15 things. Do you know that eight of the 15, over 50% of them, they're relational in nature? They actually, the way that they're manifested is in the midst of relationships. Enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, and envying. All of these things are happening in the environment of relationships. If you're in a desert all alone and you have nothing, there's no one to be jealous of. Unless you know someone that isn't, but then you're jealous of them. So it's a relational issue. Eight of the 15 are relational. The enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy. Part of what he wants to do is he wants to divide and conquer and kill relationships. And he says, this becomes the proving ground. Therefore, after Paul tells everyone that we are to put on this new self, what's the very next thing that he says to do? Bear with one another. Verse 13, and forgive one another if there's any of you that has a grievance against anyone. Pastor Rick, come on up. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. He said, and on all these things, you've got to put on love in everything you do because it binds them all together in perfect unity. He says, we have to be in that place. I want you to know, one of the areas that can be so pressed and so pained in your life is in the area of your relationships. It could be the area where some of the most deep damage is being done, where some of the deepest pain is being caused. And I want you to know it's in that place God wants to do a great healing work. You go on from there and you begin to read in verse 15. And this stopped me in my tracks as I saw this. It says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Since as members of one body, you were called to peace and be thankful. Remember thankful? It's the fertilizer. It helps you grow in everything. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Doesn't that sound familiar, church, to last week? The peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Like, so now let the peace of God guard and let the peace of God rule. Let this peace, the peace that comes from Christ, rule in your hearts. And it struck me. I told you that there were three Ps last week that might be destroying your peace. If you have no peace and you have anxiety, there might be three things that are at the heart of that. One of them is it's a presence problem. You, you've not recognized the presence of God in the midst of your life, and because of that, you have no peace. Second is it might be a prayer problem. You have not made prayer a priority in your life, and because of that, you have no peace because you're not bringing everything to God in prayer and trusting Him with it. Third is it might be a priority problem. You're dwelling on the wrong things. You're entertaining the wrong things, and it's here in the context of this that I said, there's a fourth P that we missed. If you have no peace today, it might be a people problem. You have a problem with someone. And that people problem is destroying your peace today. That people problem has robbed you and filled you with anxiety. And you worship God and you pray and you, you're trying to do the right things. But because you're not right with your brother or sister, you have no peace from God. 
it might be a people problem. And if it's a people problem, what do we do? Bear with one another. Forgive one another just as Christ forgave you. Here it is again. Bear with one another. Be patient with one another. Forgive as Christ forgave you. Remember what I said the first week? The love that flowed to you must flow. Let's say it like this. The patience that flowed to you must, must flow through you. You must bear with one another in the same way that Christ was patient with you. The Lord's patience means our salvation. Paul goes on so far as to say to Timothy, he's like, God demonstrated his perfect patience in me. You know why? Because I was trying to kill Christians. God was so patient with me. He led me to that place where I could know him. He loved me. When you can recognize the patience that God has had with you, it causes you to treat other people differently. When you really recognize and grasp all that God has forgiven you of, it causes you to forgive differently. That's the way God meant it to be. That's the way he designed us to be. And so for you, if you're having trouble being patient with someone, just look to God. Set your eyes and your mind and your hearts on things above. Lord, how patient have you been with me? Okay, I'm ready. It's, it, this pales in comparison to what God has done for me. What flowed to you must flow through you. The patience of God is meant to be on display in our relationships and how we bear up with one another, how we forgive one another, how we live with one another, how we relate to one another. And he said, when you do this, you let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. So you can know what you want to do in any situation, but you know what it means to let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts? That word is so loaded, we don't have time to go into it, but that word literally means an umpire or an arbitrator. So if you like baseball, you can have one player that slides into home plate and another one that goes to tag at that same time and they each think whatever they should do, did was right and that it's true and that it's whatever, but they then look to an umpire and he makes the final call. You're safe or you're out. When we go through these things and we feel that impulse to do whatever we do, when the peace of Christ rules our heart, it means this, before we do anything, we look to him and the umpire gets the final word. What is it? How do I respond to this? You subject all that to the Lord. And what he does is he, he leads you in his way. And you say, okay, you get the final word, not me. If I get the final word, man, I'm going to have a lot of regret in my life. When you give God the final word, he presides over your heart and he protects it. He rules it. He allows you to become slow to speak, slow to anger, quick to listen. You begin to abound in his character and his heart. That's my desire for us. As we shift into this time right now, we're going to go into communion. And as we go into communion, we're going to be coming to the Lord's table. And this is the perfect place for us to talk about this. Because as we come to the Lord's table, we allow the message of Christ to dwell in our hearts. We've encouraged each other with songs and psalms and songs in the spirit. We have thankful hearts today for all God has done with us. But it's at, in this context of communion that Paul gives some of his greatest instructions about this idea of the proving ground of patience being our relationships. That it's in this time we must examine our hearts, our relationship with God and our relationship with one another. Because Paul goes on to say, and I've read to you so many times, more than I can count, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 through 26. In fact, I don't often read it. I've memorized it. And I, I just share that with you. For I received, for I pass on to you what I received from the Lord. And I, I know that, and, and you know that, that on the night Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it and he took the cup. And when we do this, we're declaring his, his, um, the, the, the Lord's death until he returns. We're all this. 
But what I never went into with you, and maybe you've never read it yourself, is that this all flows out of a, a thought that Paul is actually correcting the Corinthian church about. So Paul, before he tells them about communion, he has to correct them about some things that are going on. And I want to just read this to you because it's relevant for us today in the area of patience, how we bear with one another. Paul says this in the following directives, I have no praise for you because your meetings are doing more harm than good. In the first place, I hear that when you come together, there are divisions among you. And to some extent, I believe it. No doubt there have to be differences among you to show which of you is, has God's approval. So then, when you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper you eat. For when you're eating, some of you go ahead and you have your own private suppers. And as a result, one person remains hungry and another gets drunk. Miss Church had some issues. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Certainly not in this matter. Paul has to address them. He says, there's a divisions among you. And that division among you is pulling you apart. And he said, I can't praise you for any of that. And you're doing that as you try to come to the Lord's table. So Paul says, examine your own heart. And he says this after. He says, he says you don't want to drink and eat judgment on yourself. Don't come into the Lord's table and have either an issue against God or an issue against your brother or your sister. Don't let there be divisions, but come and allow as we bear with one another, as we forgive one another, allow us to come with a clean and sincere heart before God, amen? So we're gonna examine our hearts. We're gonna examine our lives before God today. We're gonna do it just a little bit differently than we normally do. But I want you to ask the Lord to check your own heart about your relationship with him. Lord, is there anything here that I've been entertaining and dwelling on that's dwelling in me? Lord, I want to be right with you. And, and the answer to this is repentance. It's just turning away from it. I want you to know it's for freedom that he set you free. And today, in, in a moment's notice, the Lord can give you complete freedom if you'll surrender to him. So surrender it to him. Say, Lord, I turn away from it. I, I confess it, Lord, and I, I turn. I know that doesn't please your heart. And say, I turn to you and I renew my commitment to you. And as it happens, that happens, that vertical relationship is, is, is established and you come with a clean, sincere heart before God. Say, Lord, I'm not perfect. None of us are. But Lord, in those areas you've pointed out to me today, Lord, I confess them and I turn from them. And I turn to you. But then the other part of checking our heart is, Lord, is there something, is there a people problem in my life that's been destroying my peace? Because I want you to know that might be the source of your impatience. Some of you, your boss yelled at you. And then you go home and you start yelling at your kids, right? Because something happened to you over here. There's a people problem that's actually destroying your patience and your peace. So you ask God, Lord, search me, know me. Is there something there? And if that's it, you, you forgive. You release the debt. Release whatever that is. You don't have to wait till you have a conversation with someone. Release it to God and say, Lord, I'm not going to carry this any further. Lord, I'm going to forgive as you have forgiven me. I'm going to forgive before I even have the conversation with them. Lord, I'm just going to release it right now in your presence. And when you do that, you're going to be find the one. You're going to be found free yourself. You think you're freeing them. You're going to free yourself. But, but allow this moment as we come to the Lord's table to do just that in us. Lord, search me. Help me. Help me to come with a clean heart to you, Lord God. Help me, Lord, to grow in your spirit and the fruit you want to produce in my life. In Jesus' name, I want to pray for you. And then those that are coming are going to serve us. Hold on to it. Pray in those areas. Turn to the Lord. And then we'll all take communion together. Lord Jesus, I pray for my brothers and my sisters, Lord. This word, I pray you'd speak it to us. You challenge us. 
you'd lead us forward. Search us, Lord, in our relationship with you, Lord. If we're putting on the old self, Lord, not putting it off, convict us today, Lord, and we will turn, and we will turn to you with everything. And Lord, if, if we have anything against our brother, Lord, if we're holding anything, I pray right now in the name of Jesus that you'd give us a strength to release those debts, those, those areas, Lord, and find freedom today in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Just hold on to one of the elements that are coming out of serve. Let's keep in this attitude of worship, and we'll all take communion together in a few moments.